0: Welcome to The Fracture Line, the official weekly news feed from the Chest Wall Injury Society, where we listen to all the bottom line CWIS updates, shout outs, fun facts, and weekly banner. I'm your host, Dr. Mark Crisco, and I'm joined always by Dr. Tom White, Dr. Adam Kay, and Sarah Ann Whitbeck. Welcome back to Fracture Line, everybody. Today we're really excited to have on Charles Taylor. Charles, before we begin the, the story of Fracture Line today, Please introduce yourself. Tell us what you're passionate about, what you're doing right now, and where you are.
1: So my name is Charles Taylor. I have a doctorate in biomedical engineering undergrad in bioengineering. I am the assistant professor of research in the Department of Prosthodontics at LSU School of Dentistry. I'm also an assistant professor of research in the petroleum engineering department at LSU, as well as the director of the digital fabrication that's based at the School of Dentistry. Digital Fabrication Center uh, is the FDA conformant 3D printing facility for LSU Health Sciences in New Orleans. Uh, we are the only FDA conformant uh, printing center in the state as well. And what we found is that we're starting to build out uh, not only just patient planning models, which is what a lot of people think of with 3D printing, you know, their case planning, or uh, trying to do like a surgical simulation, but we're starting to reach more into prototyping and then uh, building on our capacities in embedded electronics, embedded control systems and helping build out sort of the innovation ecosystem in New Orleans, Uh, doing a pretty good job at also recruiting some out-of-state interests, uh, some startups into the state and leveraging what we have at Health Sciences. What I'm passionate about uh, kind of, you know, from my different positions and whatnot, uh, I love just seeing things move forward. I love seeing technology reach into areas of science and engineering and uh, sort of cross pollinating I mean, some of the stuff. In the petroleum engineering department, going into medicine and vice versa, it's a fascinating kind of intersection of excellences and capacities in our state uh, and sort of this confluence of trying things out. showing people what other domains are doing
0: the whole new field is called digital fabrication for clinical specialties is that correct
1: yeah i mean we're we're sort of branching out from just being for clinical uses and we we prototype for a variety of different industries you know the idea of kind of helping a variety of different clinical specialties uh we do everything from cardiovascular models to you know to uh, orthopedic to maxillofacial to dental so yeah, and in, in each has its own challenges and each has its own data sets that you can draw from. Um, so it's really, it is a, a confluence of different clinical specialties and sort of our, the mainstay.
2: So how did you fall in, fall in with this Greifenstein character? How
1: did that happen? <laughs> um, I think we actually got introduced through uh, Ian Ogden, right? General surgery. It's it was sort of a networking game uh, in the beginning, uh, working with, you know, you start, start working with the department. They see what we can do and then refer you on. And so I think uh, Patrick came into contact. Uh, we, we got in contact after talking with a colleague of ours, who I'm helping with one of his startups, uh, prototyping some of in, his implants, um, and then helping his department with uh, trainer models.
3: Yeah, yeah I uh, I met uh, I met Charles and, and we, we sat down and had a beer one day and we just sort of wanted to pick his brain about what he did, because to me, it was just so fascinating. Um, I, I kind of, played her a little bit with a long time ago with uh, three-dimensional printing um had a couple presentations in, in one of the CWS a couple of years ago where you know pre-operative planning with 3D printing so I played with that and I, and I, and I was interested in it but I was very very bad at it so I, I grabbed Charles and we had a beer one day and and I just sat there open mouthed at, at what an amazing m- massive world that he's is now involved in straddling this this the, this field of you know medical traditional medical care, uh, with with all the possibilities that digital and three dimensional printing and all the bioengineering that goes goes along with that. Charles, we we talked a little bit about what it takes to model a chest wall, particularly a dysfunctional chest wall, something somebody with a flail chest. I thought it would have been easier to to come up with a digital model, all all digital computer model. And and you you talked about how that was probably not as feasible. Can you you elaborate on that a little bit?
1: Absolutely. So uh, what Patrick was referencing was this idea of using a computational model. uh, And what I indicated was given the complexity of the tissue systems interaction, um, that it would actually be easier to use some of our 3D printing uh, systems because they have Uh, sort of meta material classes that you know for instance so what what we have uh in the digital fabrication center is a Stratasys j750 digital anatomy printer it's basically a 3d inkjet printer so it can print with six different resins at the same time it's got bone resins got soft tissue resins um and it's got a whole one and so does your inkjet printer blends colors to get other colors right cmyk and rgb get blended into the whole color space our printer blends materials you get different material properties so we can print a whole cross section of a chest wall with the bone you know uh, pleural lining i mean the whole all the way through to the skin obviously not the hair that's really pushing it but um so we can print that as one entire solid so when you take a scalpel to it it you cut through the skin you do your cut down you can do a, a chest tube you know punch through of the intercostal muscle through the plural lining so i told him i said you know the thing is that's all kind of pre-programmed you have like a meta material you don't have to go through in a computational model and dissect that material system um and it'd be faster to to basically experiment rather than simulate you know computer uh, uh, produce a computer simulation and when i was explaining was basically simulations computer simulations are broken down into three main parts the loads that you prescribe, the material or the system that is reacting against those loads, and then the displacements that result from either the forces on the material. And so that's one way of looking at it. And then you kind of interplay with those three things. You either move it and then measure the forces, or you load it and measure the movement. So that those are respectively are considered uh, dynamic is where you're solving for uh, the forces, and then kinematic is where you're solving for the displacements. And so you, what you got to do is you got to get that middle piece. The material is the geometry and the material properties gets really complicated with the chess wall because you've got muscles. You've got muscles that are actually developing force. So it gets really complicated. Where I was kind of gravitating in that conversation with Patrick is that my background is in embedded control systems. So, you know, building the actuation, pneumatic controls and actuating a 3D print is in my mind, a faster route Uh, Because when you look at the scientific literature, I mean, people are doing those computer simulations that I just described on like supercomputing systems and paying like thousands of dollars to get a time point solved. So I'd rather spend less than a thousand dollars on a 3D print and use uh, the embedded hardware that we've got in my bio, you know, my engineering lab and try to develop an actual animated surgical model.
4: I've been looking to try to do like finite element analysis, and that's what you're talking about, right, with the computer models. Um, and i've I've talked to companies about it trying to see how to how to approach it. and it it seems almost um it's it's ridiculous the prices and everything else to do that. How much would a a model of let's say half a chest cost to do that to to build let's say you have a a three d pic- picture of of a chest that with um, multiple rib fractures. How much would that cost um, us to be able to, you know, keep making over and over again to practice different treatment options on it?
1: So, so, I was telling Patrick, I mean, w- the way that we, we price uh, the 3D printing is by, you know, the gram, you know, so kind of like the cubic, it's a cubic volume pricing. So, you know, from like clavicle to sort of the lumbar section, I mean, that's a, that's a lot of material. You know, in simulation models and probably what you encounter with the FEA models, was like, well, where's the bounds and where are the boundary conditions that you need to prescribe to your model? You know, can you do a symmetric model? Can you like, you know, say, okay, at, a, you know, uh, a sagittal plane, you know, like mid sternum to you know mid vertebra, is that is that the bounds of your model, or can you work towards more of an isolated around, you know, maybe a couple inches either side of the fracture line, and then you know, can you simulate the movement of those uh, those rib sections? So you don't have to go
4: all the way to the sternum and all the way to the, the vertebral column, right? They're part of the overall function, though, right? If you think about it, like we talk about people who have spinal um, spinal column mm-hmm. injuries and how the sternal fractures are are the fourth column of the spine, and yep. so although although yes, I agree, if you, if you can decrease the amount of of, of uh, material to only to the exact area of the fracture, that's great. But I think the other other parts of the body still actually still interact a little bit.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, you know, going further out from that, the less complex you have to make your model. You're right, like, I mean, if you're, like, right in the fracture zone, you've gotta make sure that that boundary is very accurately representing everything that you, des- you know, decide to delete effectively. Right, yeah. So, uh, I would say a model, like, I mean, to encompass, a, like, a semi-hemispherical chest model, I mean, we could probably do it for, like, probably 1,100 or 1,200 bucks, I mean, okay. and. You know, that's just from the hip. I mean, it just depends, you know, what else you want to throw in there, you know, how much fat layering you want to do. Um, If we're talking about someone that has a pretty low BMI, so you don't have to do a whole lot of volume to make up, you know, if you're just trying to focus on the active tissue elements, maybe less than a 1,000, just depends.
4: That's great. I mean, comparatively, that's amazing.
2: Can you or Patrick provide us with an example of a clinical application? Well, it doesn't have to be clinical. I mean, a research application for this sort of Technology. I'm struggling a little bit to understand what this model. If you created a model of the chest like this, what what experiments would you do, Patrick, to to make this productive?
3: So that that was another another you know branch of the discussion we had where we was talking about intrathoracic versus extrathoracic plating systems, for example. The, those of us have used those intrathoracic systems. You kind of intuitively feel like that's more solid, right? It feels. It just feels like protecting or, or reinforcing the arch uh, from the inside feels like that's a, that's going to be a more solid construct. There's some nuances as you all know, in, in, the, in the different systems that are used and it would be fascinating to see how, how those systems um, compare to one another. Something that, for example, the industry makers of the devices won't, won't do.
2: I can see why, why this conversation was, why Patrick dove into this, it would obviously be a two beer conversation for me or for, four to six beer conversation because there's a lot here. I would challenge that the maybe a more useful uh, use for this sort of technology is not necessarily to improve the characteristics of plating, the plating materials that are currently available because they're pretty darn good. We know the failure rates are quite low, 4% or less. Where we fail, I think, our patients is, is whether or not we do adequate stabilization, whether we fix the right ribs in the right number in the right quantity. And it seems like this model, this type of modeling could help us address those questions as well. Am I correct in that thinking?
1: Yes, and so really what we see the explosion in our activity on is method. It's not necessarily novel device, I and mean, we have a, definitely a slice of business where we're helping on that front. Uh, just with, you know, especially in, in device systems like MaxFax stuff where there's just a complexity in the tissues and the requirements uh, that they have which mirror a lot of what you're challenged with in your domain, but you're absolutely right. It's more about method and application where these models I think really shine is, okay, you've got a great surge kit. What can you do with it? Are you doing the right thing? And so to Patrick's point, the cool thing we can also do with our 3D prints is that we can embed sensors inside of our 3D prints. Um, So we could actually put, you know, like strain gauges and whatnot uh, on the 3D prints Okay, you do an intervention test, and then we start respiration again, and you know start the actuators back up, fire up, you know fire up the pneumatics again, and see how you did, <laughs> right? And we can use structured light. We can use all that sorts is- of other metrology on it, and so the other point, you know, and, uh, and I forgot who brought this up. You know, I was talking to Patrick about is that there's actually you know an, uh, a way of Doing basically a um, so a computational model, an FDA atom is you know essentially a curve fit, right? You're you're fitting like a numerical model, some deformation, you know, and, and so it's a it's a forward solute, you know, forward-solving computational problem, right? You're loading it, you know what the materials are, and then it moves a certain way. You can actually then, if you have ground truth data, like you had someone under like time-gated CT or time-gated MRI. You could take that mesh from the computational model and fit it to the movement of the tissue of you know, the person, effectively in situ. And you can begin to infer what for if you you know can make assumptions on what the the tissue properties are, right? Because we know plus or minus. So I'll just you know I'll just talk about sort of the nominal point. Like you say, okay, you make a guess on what the tissue properties are. You can start to infer what forces drove that tissue to make those movements. And just like a curve fit. You know, you don't know the exact properties of patient A's tissue, but you know plus or minus, right? We know like, you know, outside of a congenital, you know, defect or some type of, you know, weird, you know, plus or minus where they're at. So that's in a lot of interest in the biomedical community is now like, for instance, you see a lot in cardiovascular where they're doing these, um, you know, PCMRI studies and trying to infer what the cardiovascular hemodynamics are and understand like what valve mechanics are for a particular patient, right? Cause they can't resolve the valve, but they can resolve all the flow fields around the valve, you know, and registering that against other, you know, echo and whatnot, that may give them, you know, some understanding of how much calcifications on the valve. So my question in your domain is, can we do that for chest wall activity, right? Can we register chest wall motion and begin to infer what forces drove that displacement in the chest wall? And that's the part like where the structure light measurement in some of these other, you know, intrinsic measurements like maybe using, you know, ultrasound and whatnot, you don't need a whole lot of resolution. You just need to know motion. That's the part where I think this could really start to blow open. You've got this three D, you know, three D printed model, where you're trying, you know, you can start to prototype how to measure because that's a ground truth, right? We know exactly how that's measuring. You put all sorts of things that we can't put on people on that and start to prove out these methods where you can start to come. You know, start to develop objective classification of chest wall function in the
3: clinic. All of our um, of our emphasis has been on a dynamic modeling and 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 sort of anatomical displacement. We we don't really have a good idea, a good handle on what dynamic dynamic uh, um, dysfunction is in these in these folks. Back to the uh, materials that we use, the implants, they were tested, you know, w- with very very rudimentary motions that, that aren't physiologic. I mean, the axial loading and sort of stress bending, you know, the only time that the the human torso undergoes that is, is when you, when you're getting CPR. So, so it's not true to what the day to day, minute to minute, second to second movement of the chest wall actually is, or its function, unless you get a guy like I got, uh, this weekend who who had an ATV roll over his chest and then his then his wife and his best friend sat at the side of the road and did CPR on him because they thought he had trouble breathing. <laughs> 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 Sorry, I'm not laughing at him. But <laughs> no, I... they were they were they were convinced. They're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> he can't breathe. So we're going to help him. So they were doing CPR on this man, and he has the most destroyed chest I have ever seen. How he survived to make it to the hospital is beyond me. Broke every bone in every position in his chest. And so he he did actually <laughs> endure those forces. But most of us don't. I mean, we breathe, you know, the bucket handle motion and all that kind of stuff. And so that's not really assessed. Fascinating stuff. Yeah. So
4: what it sounds like to me is that... Dr. Taylor was at my speech at the, at the, uh, at the summit, because he is an exactation generator. He takes a skill from one set and brings it over to somebody else, and they hijack all these different ideas and keeps moving it around. And really, it's an amazing position that you're in to be able to do that, which is- We need more
2: hijackers in our society. Yeah, Sarah, it's can amazing. we get Dr. Taylor to, to join today? It would raise the, the collective IQ instantly
4: oh my god yeah and, uh, you should uh, talk infinite. to my wife
1: thomas because she she would argue the exact opposite So yeah, well, <laughs> i think most of our watch.
2: charles thanks so much i i nope. hate to. I, it sounds to me like we could you could talk about this and we could listen about this for hours but we we need to move on uh,
0: yeah Siri, let's get on to the updates
5: as far as things coming up, we have a couple of great events um, in August that you're going to want to have on your calendar. Our um, presenters, we normally have uh, events just on Wednesdays, and um, there's something the second, third, and fourth Wednesdays of each month. But this month, um, because of the timing of, um, or the favorability of timing for our presenters, um, we actually have two things in one week. So all this was goodness is coming to you the second week of August. So put August 10th on your calendar um, when we have a Journal Club event um, that's coming to you from um, Dr. Adam Nelson from the University of Arizona. And then August 11th, the very next day where we have a Ribbonar coming to us from Phoenix Children's Hospital Um, talking about pediatric slipped ribs. So we're just really, you know, excited about our our, uh, Arizona friends. We're apparently hitting them hard and heavy in uh, in August. So please make sure to um, put the 10th and the 11th on your calendar. Hopefully you can make it to both, but if not, at least one of them, because they will both be terrific um, educational activities. Then we also have case review on um, August 24th. So that rounds out the events that we're having in August. If you have not signed up yet to come to the AAST uh, member event, please do on September 22nd. We're having a dinner and reception get together um, for members, prospective members, colleagues, friends, whatever, you know, feel free to, to drag along uh, partners that you think should be members um, or you know, APPs you're bringing to the meeting that that you have not yet signed up, etc. So um, September 22nd in Chicago, um, for those that are attending the double ST meeting, put that on your calendar and please uh, hit that up when you see the newsletter. Another announcement, we are getting very close to the deadline when you need to have committed to um, participating in the Tanzania climb. So if you if you are on the fence and still trying to decide, the the time is fast approaching when you need to to fully commit to having a Simba uh, moment or not, and uh, we need to need to hear from you if you're if you're still trying to make your decision. So, do some soul searching. Most of us will need to leave on December 26th ish to be in country by December 28th. Let me know ASAP.
2: That's a segue into my final stitch, which is a book recommendation. Dr. Taylor suggested that finding the source of the Nile was a was a was something that's epic and iconic and it clearly was. If you want to read about what what that's all about read river of the gods by candace millard you might know her because she's written recent books about churchill roosevelt and garfield which have all been bestsellers and it's about this search for the origin of the nile in in the in the high country of of central Af- east central africa and the these intrepid british explorers doctors or i'm sorry richard burton and john speak and 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 it's just a fascinating story and it just it Anybody who's going to go on Seawis Keeley, Kilimanjaro, Trek needs to read this book before they leave. It'll, it'll get you in shape for that. So that's my final stitch.
4: Uh, final stitch, I'm up to my fifth kid. So my fifth kid is uh, my, my Avery. Um, a- Avery is a very interesting boy. He's five years old. He is starting kindergarten and he speaks like a nine-year-old. Um, it's really scary uh, talking to him. Um, but he still is a five-year-old. So that's part of the problem. So you have this... This voice and this 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 um, the terminology that he uses is crazy high, but he's is as immature as a five year old should be. Um, but he's amazing. Um, this summer he learned he went from a non swimmer to a swimmer in one day, and now jumps off diving boards into twelve feet of water with no problem. And I am very very impressed and very proud of him for that. He is uh, a bit of a klutz though, so I'm not sure how he'll do with other sports. But at least he can swim, which is what what I can do when I was his age also. So he's very much like me. Uh, That's my final stitches. I love my son, Avery, and uh, shout out to him.
0: All right, I'll go. I I have uh, two quick ones. The first, uh, Dr. Taylor, thanks a lot. I mean, you've kind of, just like Griff said, this geek out sesh makes me think about what I don't know and what I'm trying to fix and what I don't know. The modeling that you can provide for at least our community and a lot of other communities is is incredible so, so thanks a lot for joining us and, and thanks for what you do uh, second of which is I am gonna be doing some military work for the next three weeks so I might or might not be on fracture line we'll see how this this goes I'm just breaking this to Sarah Ann and Tom because I just found out about it so rude I know
5: Um. okay I will go next the vine is again much more secular and service level which I think is what we have all come to um, expect from from me um, the door saga is almost over. I think by the time this gets published, we may have a door. Just to bring everyone to full, you know, to bring it full circle. The door was ordered in November, the back door. God bless the supply chain. But allegedly, it, it's for some reason, it had to be custom. I don't know. I live in like the oldest house in Salt Lake City, Utah, apparently, and it had to be custom made. And then whatever slow boat from China and I don't even understand all the reasons and and at this point I think they're kind of just like teasing me I'm not even sure but allegedly tomorrow tomorrow someone will be at my house to install the door at 8 a.m. you guys I'm over the moon excited I can hardly handle myself and when they called on Monday to confirm the appointment I was like are you calling to cancel and they goes like no I'm calling to confirm I was like oh okay okay <laughs> <It's like,
0: laughs> I'm, and now I'm will be so
5: certain that they want to put this door in as much as I want to have it put in, just so I stop calling them. November. All the fracture
0: line listeners want this door to be installed. I'll tell you that right now, Sarah. I'm
5: telling you what I may post a picture on Slack and our Twitter channel just so that people can recognize that I have a new back door and how excited <laughs> everyone should be. So oh, you're man. welcome. There Seriously. will be a new back door.
3: If, if, if they, if only they had a three D model,
5: right,
3: exactly. <laughs> exactly, and you can check out some forces like, exactly. on it'd, it'd, it. it, it'd be there. It'd I be know. there. Yeah, that was a great. This everybody. is a new, uh, a new startup for you.
5: Well, the woman said to me, she's like, now, if they install the door or if they bring the door and it doesn't look like the one you ordered, you send it back. I'm like, ma'am, if they show up with any door at all, they install it. I don't even care what it looks like at this point. I just want a door. Hot pink. Exactly. Like The door saga um, ends in 16 hours, people.
3: I've got two final stitches. One, brief ones. Um, one is uh, last night I participated in a panel. Uh, so this is a shout out for my uh, Colombian uh, countrymen and, and, and friends, uh, Marcel Quintero and his group. They started a, inspired by CWIS, they started a, an educational um, group, uh, and they, they have a monthly webinar um, that they, they, they live stream and post on YouTube. And it's just, it's great. They've, they've got uh, all all these different specialties talking about all kinds of things relating to, uh, to thoracic uh, disease. It's called Intorax uh, and I'm gonna send you, uh, send you guys a link so you guys can take a look and maybe see how we can maybe incorporate it into our website uh, or into our society in some way, because I think the work that they're doing is phenomenal. And for people who are in, in, interested in this stuff um, and, uh, and can speak Spanish, I think this is a, a, a tremendous amount of, uh, of really great, great knowledge. And then the, the other little short shout out just cause uh, it's kind of fresh in our minds. We're, we're in, we're in quite a bit of mourning right now. Our, uh, two weeks ago, we lost the, uh, CMO of our hospital, Neeraj Patel, a wonderful guy. Um, sounds like it was a PE coming back from a, lot, a long flight, young, young guy, uh, in his forties, uh, with kids. And he was just an amazing leader and amazing, an amazing administrator got us through COVID, uh, and, uh, in great shape and so uh, and not only that he's just a wonderful guy He's he really really will be missed and then the uh, the other the other huge losses for our um, for our, uh, our residency program uh, our intern we, we lost an intern two weeks ago to um, to, to mental illness uh, is really the bottom line um, and uh, just just wanted to you know highlight that we' don't, you never know who's suffering quietly so it's important to to uh to be receptive and and create a space for people to you know let you know let them let you know let others know that uh that they're hurting that's uh that's something that's uh that's really on our heavy on our hearts right now Uh, and his name was brandon
0: that's a great final stitch thank you thank you for sharing charles you got something dr taylor
1: well i'd like uh to thank you all for inviting me on uh for this conversation i think it's been a been fun talking with everybody. Uh, I think you know. Sort of the last point is you know for your listeners, you know, if you have ideas and you're interested, and hopefully this conversation has shown you that there's people you know connecting with engineers or other types of you know technical developers can really start to open up things. Um, you know, I think sharing. Where the clinical pinch points are is very critical. It's been one of my biggest uh, experiences of moving down to health sciences and being closer to clinical operations. I think that's one of the biggest things you see in health. It's just that there's a huge, there's sometimes these big disconnects. People are struggling to find answers on the clinical side. And on the engineering side, we're struggling to find things to work on that are relevant. And it's these types of connections that I think really advance health. You know, look forward to seeing this conversation impact, you know, some of the, you know, some of those efforts.
0: That's awesome. Thank you so much again, Dr. Taylor for joining us.